Probably science. I'm your host, one of three, in fact. I'm Jesse Case. I'm Matt Cushion. I am Andy Wood, and we've got a guest who I was supposed to do a stand-up show with on Friday. <laughs> and I'm Rest, sorry. I was excited. I, had, I saw a poster. I haven't seen. I was like, Andy's on a stand-up show. I haven't seen you do stand-up in a while. I but, haven't uh, done it since March of last year. Well, but I, I had to. I had to bail for work. So I'm sorry. I didn't see our guest, but one of the funniest and best dudes around. The Always pleasant to, to talk to Matt Knudsen. <laughs> Always pleasant. Uh, what, what, pleasant. what an intro. I mean, yeah, it's so true. Good. It's like not every compliment has to be uh, the most exaggerated. Anyway. <laughs> sure. Well, you know what? I have to say um, I feel the most relaxed when everyone around me is relaxed. So if I can set that kind of tone and people that, you know, enjoy my company, I'm happy to hear it. That's a wonderful compliment. Thank you. Well, it's always oh, a delight to chill. see. Yeah, I was excited to do that show. I just would have had to have driven back from the desert to L.A. just for that. You, you want to know how again. chilled out. You want to know how much Matt Knudsen cares about those around him and, and their comfort. The the K in his last name is silent, and he just says, don't right. worry about it. Right. Don't worry about like, it. Hey. And he's he's told everyone for years, don't worry about it. And now he's Matt Knudsen. <laughs> and he's, don't sweat it. You know, I, I feel like we talked about you were on our <laughs> podcast when we recorded back at Dan Harmon's house, right? Uh, yeah, you, you, you it may was still recognize. our house. It was still our house. Andy. It was our house then. Legendary. Yeah. It was still our house. But I remember yeah, we you... talked about Canute, the the great, or whatever his the the king from the year ten. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. year one thousand or so, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a Danish king Canute, and like there the lineage is Canutesen, and if you go to Denmark. Newton is like Johnson or Smith here in America. I met a Pliny the other day of Pliny the Elder <laughs> and the Younger family. Right. <laughs> and I was blown away. I was like, because I wouldn't know how to apply the, the Pliny, the very youngest, the youngest, yeah. you know. Uh -huh. uh, but I guess that kept going, too. Incredible. Uh, yeah, well, there's a, there's a joke I do. You know, a lot of people uh, think that I'm Irish because I have freckles and a, and a real drinking problem. But no, it's Danish. I also am a quarter Danish, but it's not on the wood side. Hmm. Well, it is on the wood side, but not on that. Oh, God damn it. My thought, grandma's it's maiden. The, it's on the Andy side? What are you talking about? <laughs> my, my paternal grandmother's maiden name is Jensen. Her parents were born there. Hmm. Mm. Uh, no, Norwegian. Uh, no, speaking of your jokes, Matt, one that I uh, hear in Nashville that I... I think about this joke about once a week because it's one of my just favorite <laughs> jokes in general. But your joke about Queen coming up with their band name, and I, <laughs> I think about it all the time. And whenever like anyone on stage at a show here does like a Queen joke, I'm always like, "Have yeah. you seen Matt Knudsen? You got to check. You got to check Matt Knudsen. I kind. should have to pay you royalties for how many times I've retold the Man Kissers. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah, the Man or the. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that joke all the time. <laughs> we should at least explain the premise right now. Kind. <laughs> um, well, basically, the bit is, you know, that Freddie Mercury was the only member of the band that was gay. And the other three were straight. So, the, you know, his pitch to the whole band was just like, <laughs> what if we called ourselves the four gay dudes? Yeah, oh, like, boy. I like, don't know. Well... They went with Queen, like how they wind up at what they go through before yeah. they got to Queen. Right. So the line was, "What did they have to talk him out of?" Right, right. right. <laughs> Freddie and the Sodomites. Okay, you know what? The Let's man, just the put man a pin in that. Man, for some just, reason, just... Uh, the four gay dudes, because it's also like that's a horrible band name, <laughs> cracks me up so much. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's you know, it, it it was it's always been fun to do. It's been a minute since I did it, but the fact that it resonates with you guys really means a lot. <laughs> no, I just it's, think it's, a, it's like a perfect joke. Um, I like yeah. to think it's gone, it's gone viral IRL, just like a word of mouth street it's, joke style. Like the, like the diarrhea song, sort sure. of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Diarrhea runs in my family. <laughs> mm. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
So Matt, I do appreciate you brought your new book out to give me on Friday and it made its way back to me the next Fantastic. day. So, so happy to you. hear it. So yeah, we should we should just talk about your book because some of our listeners may may just recognize Matt from being a previous guest on Probably Science several years ago. But you may also recognize him from There's many, many different things. Uh, your book called Have I, uh, Have I Seen You in Anything? Uh, true Hollywood stories from a guy that seems familiar. <laughs> this is... Uh... Yeah. I always say that I have yet to hit it big, but I've hit it medium for a long time. I've always called you the Patrick Wilson of comedy. Thank you. Very um, much. <laughs> Thank he you seems. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I, I you could know. do a lot worse. You could do a lot yeah. worse. <laughs> you can, hey, hey, baby. You know, I have to. I have to say, I don't read a lot of comments on videos and other posts and stuff. But I read one um, recently that really made me laugh because it was perfect. Somebody wrote, "Who is this guy? Alan One Dick? <laughs> <laughs> Not Two Dick. Just the one. Yeah, I like dick. It. Just the uh, one." Got me. Got me. Um, but yeah, basically the book is, um, I've literally lived in Los Angeles for half my life. I've been a character actor and a, and a comedian. So I just uh, wrote my Casey Kasem-esque top 40 stories of people that I've had the pleasure to be around and work with. But instead of like a dishy tell-all that stabs people in the back for a quick buck, all the stories are positive and uplifting Aww. about people who are class acts. And you're just like, hey, um, do you like Dick Van Dyke? Because he was great. You know, you <laughs> right. get to shine a light on these people who who deserve recognition for being the gracious, funny, nice people that they you were. You still had so. to call him Vic Van Dick for legal reasons, yeah, which sure. is yeah, like yeah, everyone totally. knows who you're talking about. It's <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So my, my elevator pitch for the book has always been... I throw people over the bus. Oh. And so it made it easy to write, and I sleep great every night. And instead of a book where I was just like, once upon a time, it's just, I was lucky enough to just have to sit in the computer chair and remember. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty great. That's very cool. Yeah. It's very, a, I, but everything very that's cool. happened and it's to an me honor. It's been... an honor for me to finally be in a book. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, wow. Yeah. Bridgetown Forever. That's what I wrote yeah. in the uh, yeah. in the in Andy's book because uh, Andy, as you know, uh, was the founder of the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, the mm -hmm. coolest festival around. And so, just to be invited and being a part of the community, like a lot of the book has that like connective tissue too, because you see someone on TV and you don't know it's because they're a you know they met their agent through their cousin and that you know it, yeah all this stuff that you you know, kind of peek behind the scenes and that stuff too. So who was your absolute favorite? I think that's not, that's the opposite of a, uh, yeah, you could say sure. that, right. The, that, the, uh, that I had that, that I met. Yeah. That's covered in the book. You know, Dick Van Dyke was really cool. Um, for me, it was, it, uh, it's tough because they're so random, but like Conan for me, I was such a hero, uh, you know, he was such a hero of mine. The yeah. fact that I met him, while I was doing a set on his show. And the first time we ever had a conversation was after he like left the desk after seeing my set and was like, yo, hey, right. That was, hey, that was great, you know? And, and you know, sometimes people will say nice things to you because it's just the, the nice thing to do. But when you hear genuine praise and like, uh, it, it, you can tell the difference. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he got to just see you at your best, and that's the moment you got to meet this idol of yours. Like, that's yeah. pretty... Those are, those are incredible moments. Uh, totally. And also, you know, the reason that moment happened is because of J.P. Buck. And a lot of people don't know J.P. Buck is like a Conan's longtime segment producer. And right. the only time Conan ever sees your act is like, you know, he introduces you and uh, sits back in the chair and watches but jp buck is the one that helps everyone get on the show so you know writing the story was talking about the conan experience but also like hey you know jp and i crafted that set together he came right. out and saw me five times live so without that connective tissue you know there's moments like that so just don't happen jp is also the dude yeah. jp is also like the only 
one of, I'd say, the last generation of late night bookers that hasn't gotten like ostracized and, <laughs> you know, who's like kept his job for not uh-huh. saying something horrible somewhere or something. Who um, knows, just, like, a cool Life dude. is a series of choices. Yes, yes. But I think a, a ton of people. Uh, everyone don't still know. loves Bart Coleman. Bart's still around. Bart, Bart and JP, I think, are beloved without any. <laughs> yes, yes. beloved for sure. Who's Bart? Well, I don't know anything. What is Bart? What's Bart's Bart, booking? Bart booked uh, Ferguson and then at midnight. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, I haven't done any of those things. I need to know. <laughs> I need to meet this Bart. Um, no, the, I mean the work that goes into a late night set where it's back. It's every word, and I and I think you know, and you'll work on it for like a year sometimes. And, and uh, I think that's cool for people just to hear about. Yeah. Always. Well, the, what, the I, what I had mentioned in the book is the whole experience took four years because when Bart started to come, uh, I'm sorry, Bart, JP started to come see me. It was when Conan took over the tonight show. Right. So he, he did that job for seven months. Then he was legally prohibited from being on TV for right, a year. Right. Right. Then he got, you know, so it was, uh, you it, things always take longer than you think they they will. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, by, by the way, I was just listening to uh, not to like just name check other podcasts, but you guys listen to Armchair Expert with Dex Shepard? No, no. I have listened to it, but no, it's, I, it's I, great. I haven't listened to any recent ones. Why? Who was? On? Uh, well, John Hamm was on and just talking about you know these circuitous paths through Hollywood careers. You know things you don't you don't know. Like, like he was talking about being at the Golden Globes like a decade before he was going to be nom like just as a friend, like barely got in the door and couldn't believe he's bumping into like Harrison Ford and people like, like literally bumping into them. They're saying, excuse me and stuff. And then uh, thinking about how, like when you do get these successes, you're, I think it's a bummer that you have to pretend like it's not really cool. And the thing that you always <laughs> wanted, like as soon as you're there, you have to be like acting like it's totally normal or else right. you get looked at askance which sucks, but I feel like this book is like a celebration of the fact like, no, it's fucking cool that you got to hang with yeah. Michael Douglas. You don't have to pretend you're like, oh yeah, this mm-hmm. is just a normal day. He's like, no, this is exactly what you would have wanted as a kid watching Star Wars. Yeah. Not Star Wars, uh, Romancing the yeah. Stone. I'm, I'm always sometimes, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, well, while we're talking about Harrison Ford, you, Matt, one of the most recent things you might have seen, Matt, it is Shrinking. Shrinking, yeah. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, I just... Um... I did one episode, and then uh, it was the dream come true. They write you in for more episodes. You're like, hey. So maybe uh, your fans and listeners may remember me best from that show. I was his patient, Steven, and I'm the one at the Rose Bowl at the end of the season with him spreading my mom's ash. That's right. That's very cool. Yeah, it was yeah, you. Thanks. There were like three regular patients. So it wasn't Asif Ali one of them, maybe? No. Or... Asif Ali was there. Uh, yeah. My friend Mike Nelson was one of them. And then... Jeopardy, yes. That's like, there's something Jeopardy else Jeopardy champion, yes. Mike Nelson, of yeah, course, yeah. the crossover. Yeah. Incredible. <laughs> I, I uh, sometimes, like, whenever I have to switch, a, switch phones, like get a new phone and all uh-huh. of my stuff comes, you know, uploads from the cloud, I'll, I, sometimes it freaks me out sort of going through my contacts because even like I'm nobody, but the 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 phone numbers you wind up getting, <laughs> yeah. because it's just people that sometimes they wind up becoming famous, like very famous. Like um, I was on a I I had a bit part on a show years and years ago, but another at the time pretty unknown was that um, Alexandria Diodario, who's like oh, yeah. went on to do everything, and and I'm just like. Why do I, how do I have this? Like, I mean, you, you can't use it. All you do is stare at it right. and delete it. Or like, like you yeah. can never call these people. But sometimes you're just like, Jesus, dude, yeah. that, that's bananas. Like, I wonder how many people have like Al Pacino's phone number from back in the day. And they just like stare at it. Like one day, <laughs> I if, I, a call. if I really yeah. need it one day, yeah. as long as he's still living in the same house he lived in in 1968, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I'll call him yeah. that favor one day. So one of the stories in the book is, you know, I've been a uh, longtime friends with Adam Devine. And yeah. I knew him, you know, from the stand-up scene before, but we also took Leslie Kahn's intensive acting class together, <laughs> yeah. where you had to, like, rehearse at each other's houses and stuff. Yeah. So it was, the premise of the class is you had to rehearse every day for, like, a month, oh, like, God. outside of class. You met weekly, but, like, you got together with your classmates. So like somewhere around like the second or third week, everyone dropped off except for me and Adam. We would still get together and like rehearse our scenes and stuff. 
And so I'd go over to his place to rehearse our script. And neither one of us knew it at the time, but, uh, you know, a few years after that, it was the house and the location for workaholics. That's actually where they lived. So, (laughs) yeah, so they just um, made it the location. But I, I do remember, like, walking in there and just like, yo, there's something going on here. There's an energy that's like a ping pong table in the dining room and like, uh, the the pool it's the it's the exact same spot but um right. even then they used it as like an incubator to make their mail order comedy videos and his and weird alien it. cousin that was weird <laughs> <laughs> just an alien hanging out eating a pizza totally. it's like there's something happening you guys should Something's make a sitcom you guys yeah, should make at, a sitcom here <laughs> also at the time too i was uh you know i was married i I've, I've been married for 20 years so i'm i'm spending time in the scene with these people who were still bacheloring and, and roommating and uh, and all this other stuff so if you come over to my place and we have like i've got like a coffee pot and some cookies yeah you've got like towels, towels. <laughs> no it's it's a very strange moment i think in this industry whatever you want to call it in this lifestyle uh when you realize you're the you're the old one yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a moment that I mean we we've, we've all had now, uh, where you know you go pick someone up for a show or whatever, and it's like their life was your life, you know, fifteen years ago. Um, totally. Oh yeah, totally. But I, you, I, I sort of now, now see my see myself in like memories of the older comics when they were living vicariously, you know, yeah. but like there was like one old comic in the green room, and he's yeah. enjoying watching like the young kids getting drunk and trying to get laid after the gig and he's like ah, i got a wife now but you go kid good luck with it <laughs> yeah good luck with it kid yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh it's <laughs> it's humbling and cool yeah you know well what i what i say on stage now is like you know now that i'm old i realize i'm not young anymore you know but, <laughs> yeah. i just recorded this bit on my special on sunday because it talks about the there's you know but there's still the old man and the young man but they they exist inside me simultaneously like i have an electric scooter young but i recently fell and got super hurt oh right <laughs> yeah yeah i got um i got old during the pandemic which it, is oh i think we all did yeah <laughs> well no i mean we we all did but i mean like that I mean, like, really, though, I think we all like I went gray. Like, yeah, it like <laughs> I mean, yeah, for some reason, it's like when when we sort of emerged again, I went from totally normal. If I'm somewhere hanging out to I'm very creepy if I'm in a bar alone. And I, and I don't mean my behavior. I just mean, like, I I'd be like, oh, I'm a whole new generation of people is just out now. I'm too. I, this is weird. Yeah. Right. You know, true. You know what I have noticed is like as I've gotten older, I, there, there are a lot of things out there that don't appeal to me at all. I'm right. not part of the um, the market that this art or commerce is created for. But instead of like uh, railing against it, just like this is terrible, it's just like this wasn't made for me. I don't like it. I'll probably never like it, and I'm totally fine with that. Yeah, you know, you stay in your lane a little bit more and realize that you know. The commercial blasting the loud music for Baja Blast Mountain Dew. It's just like, uh, uh, not for me. Right. No, right. No. Or, or even like, I got, like 20 years ago, I had the brain space to get mad about the Carlos Mencia joke theft, Dane oh, yeah, Cook yeah, bullshit. Yeah, yeah. And now the Matt Rife stuff, I'm like, I will never watch a second of his shit and I don't care. I'm not mad that he's popular. It's like, whatever. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> the market be... has spoken. Yeah. Yeah. I'm totally I'm, fine. I'm kind of sick of all those guys taking my stage time at Madison Square Garden, though. Right. Sure. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. Like I, I, I'm so sick of getting bumped down there. You know, Dude. I, that's the thing. Like I, I think when it comes to joke theft, that's you know, I, I still have that would still annoy me if one of my yeah. friends is getting ripped off. But I, yeah, I remember when I first started in comedy. You know, you're like, this is good, this is bad. You shouldn't do this. These people yep. do this, and, and now you're like, no, there's good in everything. And also, you know, it's not stealing your audience. You, everyone's on their own path. Like the the existence of pop music doesn't negate the existence of prog metal. Like, <laughs> like it's right, not like right. everyone's... Right. People will find their audience and people will find their stuff and it's very rarely... And sometimes also, you know, someone more mainstream might get someone into the art form and then 
and then some of those will end up chasing, you know, some of them will f- eventually get bored of that and find Maria Bamford or whatever and f- yeah, like, realize that she's amazing. Yeah, so true. Here, now, here. We, all know, we all know that, of course, Matt Knutson got into this solely because of Gallagher, which oh, is interesting. Ab- absolutely. Well, and I, think- I actually opened for Gallagher at the uh, Nokia Live Theater. Whoa. And it you was. Did? Um, yeah. Oh, so I thought I you were going to say at Bridgetown, which is when the yeah. rest of us all opened <laughs> yeah, for Gallagher. It's when the rest year. of the world opened for Gallagher. <laughs> yes. So, no, um, so, some woman who, um, you know, was a producer reached out, and I was the MC. And the feature act was, wait for it, Augie Smith. There you go. And then it was Gallagher after us. Wait, this makes sense, though, because for a moment he was repped by the same yeah. dude who repped Augie and Dax Jordan. Could be. I don't I don't. That, that is, I think that is, that's how he came to Bridgetown, is Dax was like, by the way, the guy, I, I know the guy now, or work with the guy who is like, helping craft a comeback for Gallagher uh-huh. and he, he he would gladly do Bridgetown. I was like, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. <laughs> the, the same we I said ha- to Andy Dick's reps. Yeah. What's we, would- <laughs> <laughs> we would have what at the time was the biggest ever downloaded, ep- most downloaded episode of our podcast. Oh, probably still is. No, yeah, it, well, yeah. I was, I remember, look, I remember being very pleased the, the day we finally overtook the Gallagher bump with our average downloads <laughs> like a regular oh, episode that that's wasn't, probably true now. Yeah. that wasn't Gallagher being racist and being being like chastised yeah. for racist, racism yeah. by Peter but he's Serkinowicz. not in the he's but he's not in the book Matt throws right. people he's, over that, the bus that's the over thing the bus. Good, over way the to bus. bring it back Jesse there are no uh, <laughs> negative stories in the book they're all even though there's like negative stories in my rear view mirror sure probably on have my horizon to. as well yeah i just don't want it i don't want to um, commit my energy to so what reflecting on them what we can take away from this is that any just sort of celeb you can think of that's not in the book very racist yes oh absolutely um, yeah. you know yeah. uh get, so, get so get ready yeah go mm-hmm. through matt's imdb and anyone he's ever worked with who you can't see who doesn't have a chapter <laughs> yep. of, of their very own. Horrible person. Therefore conclude is definitely a bad human being. Yep. Definitely a bad human being, no question. Nice. <laughs> Dead to me. Yeah, um, it now, was... Now, this book's called I, Have I Seen You in Anything? Have I Seen You in I don't, Anything? I don't think we mentioned the title yet. Yeah. Uh, so it's called uh, Have I Seen You in Anything? Uh, True Hollywood have, Stories but, from a Guy but I, I think there's nothing oh, I'm wrong sorry. with mentioning it a second yeah. time. I'm sorry. Uh, Matt did mention I... that. And the reason I called, it, uh, called the book that is it really is... Uh, the number one question that I am asked, you know, mm. and it's, I think it's just kind of a natural, curious thing. Like, uh, what, what do you, you find the most common says, answer is if, if you, uh, you know, if you really have the time to say, oh yeah, I've done some stuff. I don't sure. know. And, and list things or, well, that's a, that's a great question, Jesse. Thank you. What I usually say, and I'm, I say this with the deepest gratitude and humility is when they ask me that question, my question is, what kind of shows do you like? Because ah. if, they, if they like comedies, then I can say, like, Key and Peele, Workaholic, I think you should leave. If they like drama, then I can say, like, uh, Shrinking, NCIS, you know. Somehow I'm a doctor on, doc- on General Hospital now. I don't know how that became a thing, but... Uh, I can see I'm that, Dr. though. You've got, you got a very good... you got a good doctor demeanor. <laughs> Thank you. Wait, wait, I'm, are you saying that's the current gig you have? Or you're saying people have thought that yeah, you were... Yeah, that's what I... Well, I don't go there every day, but like, you know, I'm uh, uh, the doctor of Gregory Harrison. No way! Who, yeah, who has like onset ALS. So I'm like, you know, anytime that there's some, uh, you know, update with his health or his family wants to check in, Dr. Mark Kramer. Oh. It really is. I, I've been lucky enough to do, you know... a. a some things in the past i've never had an experience like how they do television at general hospital they are remarkably talented and efficient yeah, yeah. first day there they did 57 scenes in one day jesus christ yeah it's like a, it's it's like soap opera schedule right like they uh, just move. literally a soap just opera move. Yeah. i mean yeah, it, yeah and soap yeah. actors are ridiculously like the mainstream main cast on soap act on, on soaps are ridiculously good at just absorbing 20 pages like I, I know someone who was on a soap and now like you know is doing the Hollywood auditioning thing and they're like yeah I can do I can get sides 12 hours before a audition of course I'm off book like of course yeah, I'm like, I... you're so right it's remarkable 
Uh, is it also yeah. that they I thought maybe part of it was that like we know it's going to be one take as long as you get the gist of what we wrote down we're going to keep rolling is that also it like you know I have kind to of, say uh, to the writer's credit it's really well written um, uh, like grammarly wise or just you, you know what I mean it, yeah if things are at least for me personally I'm sure everyone has a different experience but if thing, things are easy to memorize if they make sense right the only time you have those moments of like I can't I can't remember four words in a row is if you're having some trouble with the logic or you're like, no one talks like this or, you know, but if it has a natural pattern of conversation flow, it's easy. It's easier to remember. And those, and they do a great job at that. Also, even the contract players who are there every day, like they have the scripts in their hands and are running it until the last possible second. Yeah, yeah. Even like it's the it's the a sketch comedy show backstage like when they're playing the the opening music. Oh yeah, okay. You know. Yeah. It, oh, I got another tag. Here, we'll do this. We'll say this instead. Yeah, go. All right. Totally. Totally. And what they do is they have four cameras that shoot simultaneously and all of those cameras are feeding to a main control room where they're editing live on the, you know, <laughs> like a sports, like a sports right. uh, event. Right. Wow. They're just t- camera two, take two, take two. So when they're committing it to tape, it's already edited. Like I did my first day there, I did five scenes in less than an hour. Wow. wow. Shit. That's insane. Yeah. They're so, so I can't say enough about their professionalism. It's just off the charts. Wow. And the market is, I mean, this is not your job to know this, but like in this era of streaming and endless on-demand choices, like soaps are as big as ever, I'm guessing, or I'm asking, I, I shouldn't I, well, say, are they as big as they have been? What, like, I, what I can say about General Hospital is it's been on television since 1963. And my first episode was episode 15,371. <laughs> <laughs> and it's on five days a week. From like one to two, I, oh I would guess that it's almost more resistant to things like the streaming and stuff like that because of the people, the audience that watches it, yeah, are probably one of the last sort of demographics to change their viewing habits and switch to, you know, five different apps. Right. And mm-hmm. When the pilot of your show has yeah. an iron lung in it, right, it's, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a. <laughs> I think like how much medical technology has yeah. changed since the show's been on. Yeah. They're like, oh yeah. man. You know, well, the the, 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 the CT scan they... came out <laughs> like while <laughs> while. Hey, what'd you think about that moon landing? Oh, it's pretty swell. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the one that's going to happen in six years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not a lot to talk about here in this well, okay. general hospital. And your mom died. Oh. Yeah. Why, Doctor McGuffin has distemper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the way that they do it, it really is a television factory. Because it's all done in one um, one central stage. They have about thirty five sets that are all pre lit, and they just go and they turn the lights on. There's no ads. It's all a speaker system. You just sit in your dressing room, and they're like, "We're doing thirty six, moving on to thirty seven, and like hair, makeup, wardrobe. Anyone ever needs you, they can just get on the speaker system and call you. There's no ads. There's no facilitating of like, uh, "Come and knock at my door." You're just like. You know where you are at all times. Wow. Yeah. I've been in, uh, I, I, the only thing similar I'd say is I've been in recording studio environments like that. Like for, um, you know, like when you when you go do karaoke, those are real bands that are playing those tracks, but they're just doing it in one take, like reading the chart, and they'll do like 20 a day. Uh-huh. Right. You, you I know. haven't even thought about and, that. And That's it's really just like, it's a factory. Like it's not, maybe it's not the best, as same as you would say Kubrick cinematography versus General Hospital. Sure. You know what I'm saying? But it's of it's course. like, but it's, that's not what it's supposed to be. Um, right. You know, and those environments are crazy, which reminds me, Matt, of uh, your appearance that we already discussed on I Think You Should Leave. Now, when all that came out. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> now, when all that came out, uh, because it, it, you know, it, the whole season came out at once. Um, I, I can't even imagine what it would have, because I don't, I would assume, and I don't know, but I would assume uh, everyone involved in that show was still overwhelmed by the reaction to it. It was well, like immediately like the biggest thing. <laughs> that I will say this, and um, there's a chapter in the book, and 
what it is, every um, chapter is just the name of the celebrity. Oh, so cool. it goes from Adam Sandler to William Shatner. And okay. there's a chapter called Tim Robinson that talks about this this story. Um, oh, cool. Cool. We, when I, you know, I did the, the sketch and it was before it was a thing. It was the first season. It right. was the first. And uh, I think you should leave fun fact. The skeletons came to life sketch. That was the first sketch that was ever shot of the whole series. Uh, holy oh, we should wow. say, I had that, never done is, anything before that. That's up there in my top three or four of the sketches on the series. Is the, yeah, uh, yeah, the, bone, the, the, the recording the studio, the Johnny Cash. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The <laughs> yeah. So if, they, you, if um, you if if you're familiar with the sketch but you don't recognize Matt, watch it again and have a look in the have a look at yeah. the other musician in the booth. Have have a look yeah. at the old bass player there or I'll like piano. You know, <laughs> well, what they had done, I mean, they I had lines at a certain point and they got cut and it became a glorified extra, which is totally fine by me, but I don't think I've ever had um, anyone, the, the number of people that saw that and like hit me up and you know, it's <laughs> even to this day, like last uh, Halloween, my friend was at Disneyland with his, uh, him and his wife and two kids. And he sent me a text because they were all dressed as skeletons. And he, he's like, boy, I sure hope they take our bones for money. You know? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that was the first sketch that they shot of the entire series. And um, after that, they left to go shoot two more. And um, I remember meeting Tim when I was in the, what, the parking lot. Usually I like to do my research and kind of know who's, you know, who's who and what, but I, I didn't watch Detroiters. I didn't, on the first day, I, I couldn't tell who Tim was. I, I had no idea which, which one he was. So um, we, we did it, uh, and everything that Tim said in the song was 100% verbatim scripted. Wow. I had a I had the script in my hand as well. I was like, I was Whoa. reading the words like on the paper, and I just couldn't process how it was going to be I couldn't see it in my mind that him singing these things. Right. But it was not ad-libbed or improvised. He and Zach that. wrote every single word. And um, and he was just, you know. And the reason he was a bass player when I auditioned for the band, I brought in a bass and played it. And they're like, oh, okay, great. And when we got there, like, Tim doesn't um, play music. And the bass was the easiest thing for him to fake play. But then also right. he could stand next to Reese. Right. Who um, some of your fans and listeners know him from Entourage. He was the uh, the director. A suit. Yeah, yeah. Reese Curio. Uh, God, I yeah. can't believe that was all scripted. Like they pull on your hair up, but not out. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. certainly out. that was right. like off the dome. Right. That's too. No, he, they, I, he I mean, I'd imagine it was thing. improvised when they were writing it. I'm sure. I would, yeah. I would think the writing process was a bit willy nilly. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> willy nilly. Yeah, little little willy nilly there. But I just I uh, I was just amazed even at the because I remember uh, you know seeing you in that and thinking that's that, that's very cool. It's my buddy Matt. But yeah. I, it was like the um, that I mean it just got huge. There's like bootleg merch. Of that sketch, you and, know, and when I was like, in, that's, uh, I, that's I was unreal. On, thank you. Yeah, I hit the road, and um, I was in Billings, Montana, and a woman and her husband and kids came to the show, and she was like wearing this shirt, and it was like the bo the skeleton, the you know, the worms and the bones and the skeletons, and it was the whole like <laughs> Halloween themed, but also like Tim Robinson singing with the bass and. You know, so she that, that they came because of that, like that one sketch, and, you know, her kid like bought a poster and I like I remember signing it like, wait, your name's Billy, too. And they like just they wow. thought it was so funny. That's it why was, I'm so confused. Yeah, we, we could just quote it all day. But it's yeah. The, yeah. And also, um, Robert Louis Stevenson has been a longtime friend of mine. Um, also, fun fact. If your fans are uh, uh, fitness buff, he is close personal friends with Tony Horton, the creator of P90X, 
And Bobby, the producer from that sketch, is also the 60-year-old guy who works out in every one of Tony's videos. <laughs> wow. He's just a, like a, a model of fitness and positivity, and he's just the best guy. And we didn't know that we were in it together until we got there that day. I was like, Bobby! You know? Wow. And one of the last things I remember uh, before we left set, God bless him, he helped me run lines for an audition I had the next day. So, and that's also something you do for others. I mean, I've seen, especially during lockdown, yeah. uh, you've, I've, I remember seeing tweets about that, yeah. um, which I thought was very cool. Um, uh, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, there's, there is something about um, service and extending yourself to, to others. It sounds so cliche, but most of the time you get a lot more out of it than you put in. Right. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm giving a hand job right now. <laughs> thank you, dude. Um, yeah, so. but to yourself. That doesn't count, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> but you do I, get out more need... than you put in when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. But I... <laughs> Not anymore, Andy. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I... <laughs> well, you know, um, Jesse, I'll say, I'll say this to, to your point about that, like, you know, kind of putting out the audition thing. So I'll try and do the short version of the story. Um, somebody reached out to me. They're like, I'm having a pilot audition. I you know, can you help me tape it? I was like, oh, great. Okay, no problem. And uh, this this person was a little um, little more bookish and, you know, glasses and, you know, and but the part was for this football coach. And this, this coach actually was the hero coach and then he became the principal at the school because his life never really took off. It was just stayed like a townie. So he went from coach to, uh, to principal and my friend's like, I'm not going to submit for this. This isn't me. And he's like, but you should. I was like, well, okay. But since we had already worked on it with him for half an hour, I already had all the lines memorized. So um, we, put my, we put me on tape. And even though I didn't have an audition, I gave it to my agents. I was like, hey, can you just send it over to this <laughs> office? It was uh, uh, Debbie Romano and Brett Benner. And I hadn't been in her office. I'm like three, four years, you know, but I sent over this pilot audition. Didn't hear anything, didn't expect to, but like two weeks later, I got an audition from their office for the first time in years, and that audition was for Shrinking. Oh, cool. Oh, shit. Nice. Yeah. So if I hadn't have, like, been on the radar in that way, maybe I wouldn't have been, you know, in the in the Hanging loop. out with Harrison. <laughs> yeah. I, I well, also... I've never met, you know, I've never met him. I also think oh, hanging in, out in the orbit of Harrison. <laughs> the orbit. I, I think people in roles that are so uh, influential and gatekeepery like that, it's a bit relieving if, in a nice way, you you show a bit of show a bit of balls like that. Um, does that make sense? Professionally pushy. A professionally, yeah, just you confident know, you, or something. You know, it was a bit of a. A mindset changer for me which was and we should get into stories in a second yeah. was hearing a casting director sort of just point this is really pointing out the obvious but you uh -huh. know needed to be spelled out to me was that they really want you to succeed like yeah. the the very the the last thing a casting director wants to do is to turn down people who walk into their office that like it's their right. job to fill roles in a TV show. They would be delighted if you were the perfect person for that because then they could move on to the next role and then eventually the next job and earn more money and be more successful. And, like, and suddenly, well put. In, in my head, I, I think it's sort of natural to in your head to feel like an... Also, maybe because of all the sort of audition-y TV, reality TV shows and stuff, but... Yeah. In your head, it's sort of like, oh, it's a test to pass. R right. Uh, and, you know, they're looking for reasons to fail you. And it's like, no, they are trying to collaborate with you yeah, right. and and the producer of the TV show to make a show or a film happen. And they also remember well, but, you. Like, if you're not right for that part, they remember. I mean, at, to to yeah, I, Matt Knutson's previous point, they they're they're absolutely like, if you're cool and easy to work with, then another script comes through. They're like, oh yeah, yeah. we've already got it. Well, I I will say this: if it if it encourages any actors who are listening to this, there's only like eight offices in Hollywood, maybe twelve. And um, just this morning, I sent a Amazon package to uh, Valco Miller Casting. Oh no, sorry. Because I also, they, uh, without them, I, I wouldn't have been on the show without their 
fandom and friendship and support, you know, but because of one office, there's like four chapters in the book just from these two people alone. So I sent it to them and just like, hey, thank you for being a champion. So, um, yeah, there's not it's not as big and nebulous as you think. There's just no when I sent uh, I I don't know, try to do a similar thing. But when I I sent uh, Allison Jones a envelope full of my hair. (laughs) <laughs> and um, I still haven't gotten anything. Uh, still, uh, Matt, when you <laughs> now when when you do stand up, uh, you said uh, you and Andy uh, were supposed to be on a show the other night together and yeah. such. Do you ever get uh, stage fright? Because it's different than being on camera. You ever get stage fright? Yeah, you know, one of my favorite quotes of all time is from Ron Howard, and he says, "Confidence is preparation in action." So I mm. do get like butterflies, like. You know, and you get nervous, but it's not the nerves from feeling unprepared. Well, let me tell you something um, on this uh, science podcast that we do. (laughs) Great. Great. If you do have stage fright, uh, you could probably just put on some uh, testosterone gel, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I could have used some of that on Sunday when I take my special. Yeah. Yeah. Timing. By the way, when is that coming out? That's... uh... Oh, you know, thanks for asking, Matt. I'm not quite sure yet. We're still kind of getting it was coming up from air, for air, uh, and I'm uh, gonna see what we got. And uh, but it was, I mean, God bless him. Thanks to Dynasty Typewriter, it was a five camera shoot with 4K cameras. And what I had been touring recently is it's stand up, but I also play music. It has short films. There's some sketches. There's even a dance number. So. I've been calling it the one-man variety show, which sure. is Excellent. the elevator pitch is the Chappelle show meets Lawrence Welk. And okay, I love it. It's All been right. fun to do, and um, you're good you at know, elevator it, pitches. You should uh, you should do a class on that. Over thank the, you. I, I throw you over the bus, like everyone's yeah, gonna be like, hey. yeah, yeah. Here's money. Yeah, you know. I'm also a sophomore in college studying business, and I just finished a, a marketing class, and I got an A plus. Really? Yeah, that's true. Incredible. I can only take one class per semester, but I'm working towards a certificate in entrepreneurship at Santa Monica College. Well, that's so if, awesome. If, yeah, I mean, if you wind up investing in the right companies, perhaps a testosterone gel company <laughs> could be. Uh, so, so imagine this story, guys. by the way, sent in by Mi- Michael Valbuena, but I have switched to a different website's version of the story because it's a little easier to read. Yes, uh, but a little the, more the, dumbed down for us. The original paper is still there. Um, so imagine you're walking down a busy street and you see someone struggling with their groceries. Chances are you'd be more inclined to help if others are watching. Uh, this phenomenon, known as the audience effect, plays a subtle yet significant role in shaping our behaviors, especially when it comes to acts of kindness or what psychologists call pro-social behavior. So researchers have now discovered that testosterone significantly changes how men behave socially when observed. The study involved applying testosterone gel to the upper arms of healthy young men, and this application led to a noticeable decrease in their strategic pro-social behavior. In other words, the little testosterone boost made the men more inclined to not care about other people's opinions. They didn't modulate their behavior while being observed compared to those who receive a placebo. So next time uh, you see somebody not returning the grocery cart, just they're probably all jacked up on uh, testosterone, you know? (laughs) Or just terrible people. Yep. <laughs> yep. Or the worst that we have. The uh, the audience effect refers to how the presence of others alters our behavior. So it's grounded in this deep rooted desire for social approval and fear of social judgment. Um, you know how like uh, the best I could sort of break that down for our audience is like you know how when you're on the bus like you really want to jerk off on the bus, sure. but you you're you don't right because you're worried. But if you have yeah. some testosterone gel. Um, well, this is, I don't know if this applies to all of us here, Jesse, like, uh, like, a, like our guest, for example, Professor Jerkoff over the bus right. and, uh, <laughs> my elevator pitch is yeah. jack off over the bus. Uh, Although uh, testosterone would make some pretty good lube. Yes. Yes. <laughs> jack, on the bus. Jacking off over the, uh, bus cocky. <laughs> oh, good God. Thank oh, you. This... I'm thank not you. here all week. Thank Do you. not try the prime rib. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, wow. so here's, here's how this. I just heard groans from space at that. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Uh, The the way that so these psychologists at the University of Vienna they wanted to investigate whether testosterone may in some way modulate this effect, uh, led by Hannah H. uh, Kotlikova. 
The study involved 190 men aged 18 to 40. They've divided the participants into two groups. Uh, one received testosterone gel, the other placebo. And then they waited two hours before completing tasks designed to measure, measure their pro-social behavior. So during the learning task, the participants could earn monetary rewards for themselves or a chosen non-government organization, NGO. The um, task involved choosing between two abstract symbols, one with a 75% chance and the other with a 25% chance of yielding rewards. Sometimes they're making the choice for themselves and sometimes the NGO. And without prior instructions, participants learned through trial and error which symbol was more likely to provide rewards. The choices were made via button press, followed by feedback on point acquisition. The points were later converted to money. The task was completed under two conditions, either in private or observed by two female observers who were presented as NGO representatives for a bit of extra heat. <laughs> the participants were randomly assigned to one of two conditions. Um, uh, the two After the task, participants completed a questionnaire about their feeling of being watched during the experiment with responses ranging from not at all to strongly. This aimed to gauge their subjective perception of surveillance during the task. The study found that men who applied testosterone gels showed less pro-social behavior when observed to the placebo group. They didn't take as much care in making choices when the NGO's money was at stake, even when the NGO <laughs> ladies were watching them. The amount of effort they put into selections for their own money, however, was unchanged. Wow. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah. NGO ladies also sounds like a great, like, Name for like the backup dancers to some. <laughs> it's just, it's Macanutes and the NGO like Parliament Funkadelic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the NGO uh, ladies are headlining Lilith Fair this year. Yes. Yeah. This is so weird because it's like I wonder how much your behavior changes knowing you're in a study. Like, there's no way to make you unobserved. Right. Yeah, you're right. Um because they themselves are in a study like i remember i i told you guys when i was working you know when i was doing clinical trial stuff uh working down there during during a pandemic stuff um the whole building i was in because it was in this huge hospital of several buildings the whole building i was in was all people doing research it was a research building all studies and like my first day i found a 20 on the ground yeah and I was like looking all around feverishly trying to return it to someone because I was like, if this is a study, like everything there was a study, like there would just be people like you'd be eating a sandwich and people would be sitting there with a clipboard. Like, <laughs> right, right. And it was like terrifying. Yeah. So I would imagine since, since when you're doing a study, you can't at least since at least in America, you can't do a study without the participant knowing they're in a study. Um, you can't do like a Stanford prison thing anymore. Right. You just have to run a real um, prison. That's what I've been doing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's the only way you can get funding these days. I know. I know. I know. Um, yeah. No, I know you've been doing that. It explains your like weirdly metal toilet um, <laughs> in your apartment. You but know I, what I would, Jesse, I, <laughs> I agree with you. And what I would add to that is uh, as part of today's society, you're always on camera somewhere with security and the street light cams and the, I mean, every inch of, uh, of my toilet cams, toilet cam, obviously. <laughs> yeah. But in a way that no other generation has experienced, we are, I mean, we're on camera all the time. I, um, on my way to tape the special on Sunday, I was a victim of a hit and run. What? Jesus this person like rubbed up a, on my car while we were driving on the 10. And and then I was like, you know, roll, had my window rolled down, like, hey, let's pull over. You know, no one's perfect. Accidents happen. But then this woman floored it. Oh, my and God. And sped away. And as she did, I just took my phone out and like, beep, I took a picture. I had her license plate. I went to the CHP. I filed a report. Like, you, this, like, this society where you get to act with impunity is infuriating. So... Whatever the results of a hit and run, I want you to feel the full weight of them. It's just so funny to me when um, uh, something insane actually happens to a comedian before a show, because that's the start of every joke. Like, right. I was in a hit and run on my way here. And, right. and yeah. like, you really I were. You. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Totally my wife right. left oh, this there, morning. There, was a, there like, used to be a gig. I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast before. I've got to try and find it, see if the website is still there or archived. But there used to be a gig somewhere near the south coast of England that was in a theatre run by the, the local council. And a guy from the local council would review every show. It was a monthly show. 
and he would believe everything that the comedian <laughs> said on stage and would just report back on their jokes as if they were real. Uh, like uh, one of them I remember very distinctly was it's surprising Mark Watson wasn't more flustered considering the journey he had getting here. <laughs> it's just like, oh bless your little sweet oh, cotton gosh, socks. That is wonderful. <laughs> well, my version of that joke is like well, so uh, this happened to me the uh, the other day, otherwise known as six years ago in sure. the parking lot. It just the <laughs> the um, the time frame is shifting for most people. Yeah, I'll uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm doing um, I'm doing stuff where I'm like, uh, you know, be like, oh man. So it's uh, Lord of the Rings. Just uh, they just released a new streaming. That, like like anything right. to make it yeah. sound recent. Oh, it's the oldest yeah, material. <laughs> add that evergreen component to it. Yeah, absolutely. They make too many superhero movies. Am I right? Am yeah. I right? Then you finally get your Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah remember Daredevil? Yeah. You know what I like? The original Christopher Reeve Superman. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. The best. Did you guys watch when Dante was on Last Comic Standing? I did. No. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I watched no, it because no, I was no, throwing an actual on the same episode. You yeah. were on it. You were there. You were on it. Was Incredible. Like, uh, Jesse has to go and go, go Utah, run off and fix Utah's his car, finest. right? we got to say I've, goodbye to Jesse. Oh. I, I do. I've got a road thing tomorrow, so i got to fix my car. Um, and I'm so sorry that the, the timing overlapped. Jeez, uh, Jesse, safe travels. Get. Always a pleasure. Go and see Jesse. Can, can our listeners yeah, go and see you while you're performing? I'll be, I'll, I'll be at Comedy Studio in Memphis, uh, but that's going to be on February 1st, 7.30 p.m. Um... And, you know, come if you want to come, if this is out. And if not, you missed it. I was there, you know. <laughs> I was there in Memphis, Tennessee. Now I'm back in Nashville already when you hear this. Uh, did, you, did you notice when that lady sideswiped you, did she have a testosterone patch yeah. on her arm? Maybe she did. Right? Maybe she did. You were talking about Last Comic Standing. Oh, oh, that's right. Oh, just Dante's impression of Christopher Lloyd. And then he has to like specify that he's talking about taxi era Christopher Lloyd and not Back to the Future. Like, when did you write this bit? <laughs> um, so there is a uh, there is another testosterone based study, 2016, from Trinity College Dublin, uh, that reached somewhat contradictory results. I don't know. Is it contradictory? It found that testosterone enhances behavior associated with obtaining and maintaining high social status. They employed a modified version of the ultimatum game where participants treated with testosterone showed a propensity to punish unfair offers and reward generous ones. So it sort of makes you, hmm. I guess, more likely to want to uphold social strata and social order. Hmm. What do you think about that? So it's it makes you kind of antisocial, but also kind of well, uh, very hierarchical. Yeah, well, I don't know if it's antisocial. It's, it's just that it, you view society in a specific way. Like, you're you your morality is tied very strongly to sort of social order and propriety and rules yeah i'd always been of the school of the uh, the golden rule do unto others as you'd have done unto you so if you're i mean i wouldn't sideswipe someone and drive away but there are yeah but they don't know that when they do it to do you at the time someone's watching whether someone's noticing you know the way you behave when no one's watching is a little something called character. And yeah, I think we are, although we're all being watched all the time, I feel like we're all so very isolated. Like, I think I've talked about this in the podcast, but like the concept of privacy as like a human right is a pretty new thing. Like it basically came around with the invention of the camera. Like before that, there was no need to state that there was such a thing as a right to privacy. And we might look back on this 100-year period as a blip because this private life that we all enjoy is kind of an anomaly in the history of our species, and it might not end up being a very good thing as far as continuing civilization. Like, hmm. we might very soon have to get back into sort of a not, a, not a, not an Orwellian kind of, like, but just like being being responsible to your community because a lot of the things that are going wrong in the last hundred years are sort of downstream of, yeah, people not having consequences for bad behavior. Yeah. And it's a trade off or, or like, like from a tech standpoint, you know, the, the, the dilemma of should phones be 
inherently uncrackable. And I could make a good argument for either side of that. You know, like if someone's planning the next 9-11, the government wants a backdoor way in, but the phone manufacturers are like, if we create any kind of backdoor, who's to say where that can be applied? Like there's no more, there's no more expectation of privacy if any, but if there is even the possibility for anyone to have a backdoor way into your phone, which you think you have a basic human right to it being private. Like maybe you don't, maybe society is going to decide that is not a fundamental right that we Mm -hmm. need or want to to push. I guess uh, society will tell us what the move is. Yeah. Um, Hey, uh, uh, I'm not even going to try and segue into this story. Look, we've got a fun animal penis story that Emily Brown has sent in. And it's been, it's been a while since we had a fun penis animal penis. <laughs> Maybe for you. Yeah. Uh, you don't know what kind of week I've had. <laughs> you haven't checked my browser history. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. Um, uh, a bat uses its huge penis like an arm during sex. It's a new scientist. That's a legit paper. That's a legit magazine, so we know this one's actual proper. Video recordings reveal that penetration does not occur when serotine, serotine bats mate. Instead, males use their penis to push a protective membrane out of the way. Uh, male, male serotine bats have a bizarrely long penis with a heart-shaped head that they use like an arm during sex. Uh, bats are quite interesting in many aspects in their biology, says Nicholas Faisal at the University of Lausanne in Swi- Switzerland. For example, they live relatively long uh, lives for their small body size. Some reportedly surpass 40 years old. And their reproduction is also quite amazing. Some female bats can store sperm in their uterus for several months after mating, and short-nosed fruit bats have been spotted performing fellatio on their partners during sex. Good for them. <laughs> now Faisal uh, and his colleagues have found that serotine bats a common species found around Europe and Asia also reproduce in a unique way. The team recorded videos of the, them in the attic of a church in the Netherlands. See, this is where I'm, I have a little issue because isn't a church meant to be a safe space? Yeah. Right. Sure. Unless they were doing missionary. <laughs> <laughs> and, a, and also in a bat rehabilitation center in Ukraine. They noticed that males have a disproportionately uh. large penis extending to 22% of the bat's height during erections with a tip shaped like oh a heart goodness. that's around sev- seven times longer than the female bat's vagina. Uh, <laughs> yes. <yeah>. After analyzing <laughs> 97 mating events that were captured on camera, the team realized that these bats do not have penetrative sex. Instead, the male bats use their rect penises to push the protective membrane around the female's vulvas out of the way. Once the tip of the penis meets mm. their mate's vulva, the copulating bats stay still in a lengthy embrace for as long as over 12.7 hours. That's quite a specific amount of time. What? Oh my goodness, boy. Talk about post-coital. Yeah. The female bats' abdomens then look wet after these interactions. The researchers think this is semen, though Faisal says they need swab tests to confirm this. This is the first time we've seen mammals reproduce when there is no penetration, says Faisal. The team now hopes to study the bats in closer quarters to verify whether sperm transfer actually occurs during these events and to understand why bats evolved this distinctive way to have sex. So it's just like the penis is just like an arm opening the curtain. (laughs) It's just, hello there. Wow. (laughs) Hey baby, look at the, yeah, look at the head of my dick. It's a heart. It means I love you. Romantic. Are these bats Mormons? Because it sounds like they're soaking. (laughs) <laughs> right do we do we know what soaking is uh, here guys i don't is that when you have sex through a sheet oh it's something like that it's like one of these loopholes first of all it could totally be it probably is mostly urban legend but just yeah. like a a way that kids who are told by whatever repressive uh ideology they're part of that they can't have sex like if you don't move but just insert and then stay still or as was done to comedic effect in jury duty let's say you're doing that you're soaking and then let's say someone else just happens to jump on the bed that you're lying on well you didn't cause the thrusting which if you guys seen jury duty when james marsden has to do that for the uh, religious member no you know i actually uh i know the director jake Samansky, and i read for the show but i I'm still waiting to hear. <laughs> Got some bad news, Matt. Oh, no. What? What happened? Nothing. Nothing. Uh, but uh, I've heard no. people love it. I, I myself have, have yet to enjoy it. It's, it's worth checking out for sure. Also, a thing that was workshopped um, at the house where we used to record this because Cody Heller also lives in the house where you came to record. That's right. Nice. 
Yeah, well, that's, a, a, you know, the whole Mormon thing, and that's a, another chapter from the book. It's Bill Paxton. I did uh, uh, some episodes of Big Love, season one, and it was such a, a an incredible memory because I was so new in my career, but they also had a, a seat for me and my wife at the Man's Chinese Theater at the debut. It was just like, whoa! So I think we were talking earlier about hanging around all these people that you admire but you feel like a interloper right right that was definitely one of those events paxton what a legend man paxton yeah just a simple plan guy. i was just talking about a simple plan with somebody and like i gotta rewatch that that was one of the yeah. best movies of the 90s oh dude and what about uh what is it the day after tomorrow the tom cruise movie oh uh, the one that got renamed live die repeat is that the one something like yeah no i yeah emily blunt yeah, 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 yeah. But Bill Paxton plays like the sergeant. You are yeah. about to be bathed in the blood of honor or something. <laughs> you know, was, he was just high and tight, mustache. Chet from Weird, mean, Science. Weird Science. My God. Yes. Weird Science dude, but one. <laughs> <laughs> what a legend. Legend. So, you know, you never, that's that's another, um, you know, kind of component and through line of the, the book is just like, I go for it. Push your comfort zone a little bit. Uh, God only knows how many days you have on this. Right. On this spinning rock. Um, uh, speaking of bat penises, have you worked with any of the Batmen? <laughs> Boy, that's a great question. I don't think I don't think I have. None. There's so no, many. I don't think I don't think I have. Uh, but you know who? I mean, I if I if I could ever meet meet Michael Keaton, I don't oh. even know how that conversation would go. Just because he's such a like a personal and professional hero yeah and the fact that he kind of has has risen to the heights that he has from being a stand-up from doing spots at the comedy store and to be this guy it's he's fucking beetlejuice right yeah i think people forget that he came from stand-up i'm not even sure i've seen footage of him doing stand-up there's not much yeah. but it's around yeah. there's like old evenings of the improv and stuff yeah. like that um by the way, while we're talking about weird animals and the like, uh, there is a quick story before we wrap up the main episode that Christopher Cooper sent in. The animals have been acting strangely in an Arizona national park, and it may well just be good old rabies. Oh. Uh, foxes, raccoons, and a bobcat have been reported acting odd at uh, Saguaro National Park near Tucson. And apparently, additionally, several foxes have been found dead, and a 66-year-old was attacked by a bobcat. Uh, sending them to hospital, still on the loose. Officials suspected the bobcat may have rabies. Now they think some foxes and raccoons are also infected with the virus. So that's fun. Well, I see we got that going for us. We're, we're still doing the, uh, uh, the, oh gosh, what is that? To kill a mockingbird? They're still infecting our animals and need to be <laughs> yeah. shot. Oh, wait. Are you thinking of Old Yeller, or did that also happen in To Kill a No, there was a scene where uh, uh, Atticus has to shoot a dog that's that's rabid, and it's like, in the movie, it's Gregory Peck, and you see the dog, like, jumping up and down and being all erratic, and he has to shoot it in front of Scout, and it's a how many it's a, books a of that moment. era? Yeah, how many books of that era were about killing rabid dogs? <laughs> like, Not enough. <laughs> yeah. That I know. That's yeah. crazy that that, I mean, that's, oh, how traumatic. But also I would just, for some reason, I got like videos on some social media feed of mm -hmm. like doctors in the forties treating humans with rabies. And then I started Googling. I didn't realize if you don't treat it for like a few weeks or a month, it is unfixable and you will die even today. Yeah. Like rabies is like, I was like, holy shit. Then I just, well, I didn't even know about the month thing. I thought it was just I saying, didn't even know it was that it, long. you're dead. I guess there's a window. Wow. But like once you, once you're in the throes of it, yeah. it's horrible, the footage. Cause it's like, they also call it hydrophobia. Cause your body rejects any attempt to drink water. And wow. they show these patients in like grainy ass footage from the forties or whatever, trying to drink and just going into seizures. And like, then, you know, you're going to be dead in a couple days. Like what does the doctor say to a rabid human? That's insane. And that yeah. could totally happen right now. If you just didn't get a shot for a week or something after getting bitten. Yeah. That's crazy. Like the, yeah. the, in Florida, they have leprosy. Leprosy is making a comeback in Florida. There's these people like vaccines, forget it. And they're like, okay, leper. It's remarkable. Yeah, the 21st century is not uh, shaping up the way any of us had hoped. 
<laughs> but it is shaping up with a great new book and soon a great new special from Mac Newton. Yes. Mac, where can our listeners find you and everything uh, you're doing? You know, thank you for asking, Matt. I would just say hit me up on the tree, uh, Linktree slash Matt Knutson. Uh, from there, you can go uh, get a copy of the book, uh, YouTube channel, all the socials, uh, IMDb, all of it. If you just want to get the book, I would recommend going directly to Amazon.com. And what I've done is I've uploaded two different versions of the book. All the photos and all the stories are exactly the same. But I did a color version and a black and white version uh, because, you know, if if, if people want to uh, spend a couple bucks less for the same book, I want to provide my my customers and fans with value. So uh, both okay. versions are available. Just type in, have I seen you anything in the search box? And it should take you right there. Sweet. Nice. Uh, yeah. You can find us, as always, probablyscience.com is the website. You can find us on Twitter at probably science individually at Andy T. Wood at Jesse Case and at Matt Kirshen. If you have any questions, comments, clarifications, stories you would like us to cover, you can email us probablyscience at gmail.com uh, and also we are, uh, you can go to probablyscience.com to find the links to the stories we cover and also our Patreon and PayPal. Uh, we will do an extra bonus story for our Patreon patrons uh, but main episode, thank you so much for listening and Matt, thank you for joining and go and get his book everyone. A real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. 